Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I am David Van And, man, we've got an awesome show for you on this episode. But um, usually you'll see us uh, having, if we got a guest anyway, you'll see us having the guest already. But we decided to kind of give some of the housekeeping kind of things that are uh, coming up in uh, Tag Your It land. Um, not just tag your it stuff, but, uh, stuff that we're going to be a part of. Um, and so we wanted to just make sure to get these announcements out to you. And so I know on the last episode, um, of the tag your it podcast, you had heard about the upcoming, uh, abolition conference. That's going to be here at, uh, in Springfield at redeemer church. That's October 15th. Now, just to let you know, I do not have all things worked out yet. There's not an e-ticket page. There's not an event page. And the reason why is there's not an e-ticket page and all that stuff. So there's still some background stuff going on, but it will happen October 15th. We got lots of time. So, um, enough time for that, but you know, just, uh, I'll release a lot more information whenever I get those, uh, get all the things, uh, in line for that. But yeah, Dave. And the, uh, Abolish Abortion Missouri is kind of co-doing some co-sponsoring with that. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. I just yes. wanted to make sure that I put mm-hmm. that out there. So that's really great. So Redeemer obviously is the host, the main sponsor, Tagurit. And of course, Adam and I are so fortunate to, get to sit on the board of mm-hmm. Abolish Abortion Missouri. And so that is also co-sponsoring this event. So really exceptional. I'm glad to get all those things working together. Oh, yes. And then also we have Rescue Those and Free the States that will be involved um, in this. And the SBAA, um, all those those entities um, will be involved uh, in this uh, conference that's going down. So that's the beautiful thing is uh, just there's a cross state lines um, type of thing going on here um, that I am so happy to see coming together um, sort of passing of the torch on some issues and uh, to really bring the conversation, especially to the state of Missouri, where we've had Mike moon, we've had abolish abortion, Missouri, um, but we still haven't had like the greater um, attention of the country going, what is Missouri doing? What is Missouri doing? So um, we would like to, and Adam, thanks for all all your hard work. Thanks for all your hard work in that. And I'm so grateful for the elders at Redeemer being willing to open up the church for that. I I mean, I think that's huge. That's a great place for us to meet and it should be just a really exciting conference. Great speakers. And we'll announce those speakers coming up here just a little bit later. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So we have that coming up. Um, and then if you have not uh, checked out uh, the Tag Your It timeline or the YouTube channel, um, there is also a video that I had produced uh, because um, I have submitted as of, I think it was August 8th, I submitted the resolution on the equal protection of the law for pre-born children. Now, if you recognize the sound of that, that's because the SBAA guys, um, we got together and we were going to promote this in Anaheim at the Southern Baptist annual meeting this past summer. Now it's the same language. All right. So the only things that I have changed is the fact that this document right here as printed was printed for Anaheim. So all I did was change the location. So it's St. Charles, Missouri. And then the date, 
October 24th and 25th um, up in St. Charles. That's the only thing I did. I want Missouri Baptist to, with one unified prophetic voice, call the state to equal protection. Now, I do uh, have talked about a guy on the podcast before, and I am trying to talk anyway, and I know they uh, like equal protection. I'm still trying to get a definition. So um, if he's listening to this podcast, uh, you've got a messenger um, (laughs) conversation to talk about anyway, just to get that. But uh, I would like to see how many Missouri Baptists, especially pastors, um, could and and would be willing to support this to get microphones and all that kind of stuff so that we can declare again with one unified prophetic voice here in the state of missouri that we call our civil magistrates to the equal protection of all people under the law so right. um so yeah. so that's what's coming up so i'll look at that video share it please share it i'm not asking for money i'm asking for your timeline just right. share something and that's all that needs to happen and that's uh one thing that anybody can do everybody has the skill to hit share and like so we can and do that, if you so. share a bunch of goofy memes memes you should be able to share a resolution yes that actually yeah. will have some significance yeah. to it and some mm-hmm. weight behind it yes so. so that and then uh the last thing um that is coming up is i have uh, personally been invited to um camdenton missouri so in camp yeah, Camdenton, Missouri, and uh, Cody Harlow, which is uh, somebody that actually Dave um, told me to get a hold of uh, going to the uh, SBCAM anyway. And that's where I met him and we got talking and stuff. He's a mutual friend through Dave anyway. Got to talk to him and he's like, hey, we're going to have an apologetic Sunday sometime. And we that would be awesome if you'd want to come and talk about uh, presuppositional apologetics. And so it has happened. Um, so if you are in the Missouri area and you'd like to come out, that is actually September 11th. And I am. I've got my Redeemer hat on. It's it's one of those things that I'm sacrificing a celebration with my church. That's our 10-year anniversary um, as a church on that Sunday. But I will be going to Camdenton that afternoon um, to help other brothers and sisters. This is the MBAN issue. I'm a Missouri Baptist apologist um, endorsed by the MBAN, and uh, I'm willing to uh, give up some time and sacrifice some time to go and uh edify and build up other brothers and sisters, especially when it comes to apologetics, um, why we do it, how we do it. Um, so I'll be talking about uh, covenantal apologetics there. And so uh, also with Rob Phillips, Rob Phillips is going to be there in the morning. So this is a Sunday. Um, there are three times there's a, let me, if I look at the uh, Facebook event, um, I think we've got uh, 10 o'clock, 3.30, which is a spot that I'll be, I'll be up speaking at 3.30, and then there's a 5.30 as well on that Sunday to talk about apologetics. One little thing that I wanted to make sure we Mm -hmm. talked about was, of course, the debate coming up, which we will again have some opportunities to discuss that a little bit more. In fact, our next episode is going to be a roundtable with each of these individuals and, of course, with Will Hoffman. Adam is going to be debating his what uh as far as moderated debates what is this like number seven or eight for you Um, right i don't count so ah so another moderated debate for adam (laughs) and he will be of course uh having and holding and defending the post mill position but the question for the debate is what does the bible say about end times thank you again dave for that uh specific word and and, uh just let you guys know um so this uh 
the next podcast that we do um, will be a panel discussion between all of us uh, talking about why eschatology matters. So, you know, so you'll get a little preview. Um, again, I got to uh, battle against uh, Gabriel Zalea um, with Dave last year. And so we get to have and Gabriel Dennis again Jackson. and Dennis yeah. Jackson too. But yeah, it's just funny because like Gabriel, it's just like, we're so close both times now but we're going to have like those points and it's going to be fun with them so (laughs) yeah he's such a sharp guy such a great uh such all these all three all four of you are really good speakers and theologians i'm grateful for the work and i just honestly going back just a little bit of time i know we're doing some introduction here but going back to when the missouri baptist apologetics network began and when i first got involved it was things like this that I hoped that we would be able to host. It was opportunities to deal with topics that were important to people in the church and demonstrate to them that they needed to be prepared as well. And of course, our panel that we're going to have actually on the next program is going to really dive into why this is a central issue. And it'll be great to follow that up with the debate on the 23rd. That is the Sunday night before the annual meeting. So this is a pre-conference debate, and it is going to be hosted in the convention center. Again, really, really awesome. Of course, in ballroom C and D on the lower level in St. Charles, Missouri. Should be an Mm. awesome setting. Uh, I cannot imagine a better opportunity for us to demonstrate just the power that we have and the great apologists that we have on the Apologetics Network, the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network. So please, if you are going to be somewhere near the St. Charles area, I'd encourage you to come to the debate. If you follow the Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network page at all, share this, invite people. This will be a great opportunity even to bring a non-believer because the discussion that's going to occur is going to be very much apologetics related, not just eschatology and theology up in the air. So with that said, Adam, I'll let you introduce our guest here for our program today all right so um thank you uh for for all that i mean he just always gets me with his words and his uh building up and encourage encouraging me and i hope the other guys feel just as encouraged from dave too he's a very very pastoral dude and it uh, definitely comes across so appreciate you dave um but yes we have uh wonderful uh we haven't talked about this issue in a while i mean it's one of our presuppositions that we do have uh dave had written a book on the inerrancy of scripture after having a debate on the inerrancy of scripture and so it's been a while since we uh hit that issue but that's always an issue that's uh up uh for discussion um definitely uh a vit it can be vitriolic it is divisive and everything and so we did want to uh, bring on another guest to talk about um, their book um, that they'd recently wrote on the issue of inerrancy and the authority of god's word and so you know with that being said just to introduce it this is the tag your it podcast and so you know whenever you open up deuteronomy 29 29 we love that verse here Mm. um deuteronomy 29 29 let me grab it with my eyes here it says the hidden things are are, the hidden things belong to the lord our god but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law and that being said um talking about covenantal apologetics and everything in this podcast you got the 10 tenets and so you know to before we get into this, uh, let's just set the tone of why we are here today. Um, we believe in these, uh, I'm going to bring at least three tenets here um, that this talks about. So the first tenet is the triunity of God, that the faith that we are defending must begin with and necessarily include the triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is, as God condescends to create and redeem, and two, the authority of God's revelation. Now, God's covenantal revelation is authoritative by virtue of what it is, and any covenantal Christian apologetic will necessarily stand on and utilize that authority in order to defend Christianity. And then point three, it is the truth of God's revelation together with the work of the Holy Spirit that brings about a covenantal change from one who is in Adam and one who is in Christ. And so, and that's the covenantal change. So that's why the authority of God's word is so important. That's why inerrancy is so important. That's why definitions are important. Starting points are important. And that's why our methodology is the way it is. And so uh, with that said, let's bring on our guest today. And now we are joined, not with just one Dave on the screen, we have two Daves on the screen. So Dave, uh, we got you uh, in Kansas, and then we've got this other Dave. So man, introduce yourself. Let us know who you are, or at least our listeners know who you are here. Yeah, yeah. My name is Dave Jenkins. I'm the executive director of Servants of Grace. The most important thing about me is I'm saved by the grace of God, and uh, the Lord saved me graciously at the age of five. And, uh, you know, <laughs> very far from any any sort of semblance of a of a perfect Christian by any stretch of imagination. Long, long story there. But uh, by God's grace, I'm happily married to my beautiful wife, Sarah. We've been married 15 and a half years uh, outside of my salvation. She's the greatest gift that the Lord has ever given me. I started Servants of Grace as a 19 year old. Thought he knew everything or thought. Yeah, thought he knew things about theology. Uh, and thought he knew what he was doing in ministry. Um, I really didn't. So uh, the Lord humbled me. And then about six months before I met my wife, I was in actually for for some years, I was in rebellion against God, which that's mm. another long story, too. But I was in slighted pornography and the Lord convicted me six months before I met my wife and and uh, uh, just realized at that moment I was really selfish. You know, the kingdom of self was was large in my vision mm-hmm. in my life and so i so the lord convicted me and uh then six months later i met my wife and i i prayed at that time the lord helped me to be the man you want me to be and then you know six months later this amazing godly woman comes into my life and just rocks my world and says you're you're not going to screw around in school anymore and you're going to get your butt in gear and you're you're too smart to to be messing around and so uh I said, yes, ma'am. And, and how high do you, would you like me to, how high would you like me to jump? You know, yeah. yes, ma'am. You know, and, uh, and, and I probably should have said, how many pushups am I going to do? But, you know, I didn't do that because, you know, I didn't want to do any pushups, but anyway, <laughs> anyways, uh, but, uh, you know, started, so I started, I've been doing this for, uh, 20, 20 plus years now, 22 awesome. years and you guys have been, uh, incredibly faithful. And so, uh, yeah, uh, I, I've also been able to be published, uh, pretty much i mean blue letter bible it's from blue letter bible the bible study tools modern reformation reformation 21 i mean you know the who's who and the what's what of whatever and it's all a gift and i just tell people i'm just a very ordinary guy um i'm not anything special um i'm really not i'm just uh i'm just trying to be faithful and focused and uh serve the lord in in whatever capacity and whatever way he would have me so yeah. Yeah. So dude, thank you uh, so much for your work. And uh, that's why we have uh, Dave on, on the podcast today. So, um, you know, it's been a while, uh, but on uh, our own, uh, well, I need to get the uh, right finger up, but on our own uh, Baptist and Reformed publications or publishing uh, group, uh, Dave had uh, produced a book. 
because of a debate that he had on uh, the inerrancy of scripture. And so he put a book up on the inerrancy uh, from a presuppositional and historical perspective of inerrancy in any way. And so we haven't talked about that specifically, even though it's our presupposition. Um, and that's the way that we do things and how we interpret culture, how we interpret memes and all that kind of stuff that we do on the podcast. Um, but we wanted to bring that up again because Dave has just uh, came out with a new book on biblical, on the authority of God's word, um, on inerrancy and all that kind of stuff. So we wanted to bring up the, the conversation yet again. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Dave, you, uh, just published through G3, the word matters, defending biblical authority against the spirit of the age. And that is out in publication right now. Am I correct? Correct. Yes, sir. Okay. And so, uh, if you don't mind, just give us a little bit of your mindset as to why you wrote this book. Um, yeah who you were hoping to engage with it well i i'm writing for the average person of the pew i i'm very concerned uh you look at the the top books that are selling every year from the evangelical christian Publish publication association to what's being published by christian websites and and pot the top christian podcasts and and the issue that we have today is one of authority i mean mm -hmm. who is authoritative is it is it god's word or or is it ourselves um and the church's answer deriving from God's word is that God is authoritative. Yeah. He He is the covenant Lord, and we are owned by him by virtue of him being the creator and being our Lord. <laughs> and so uh, all all the only way to know God, we would say, as Reformed brothers is, you know, to, to know him as he's revealed in the word. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's one reason why I wrote the word that the word matters. And the, the other reason is, is that we we also have to the average Christian doesn't doesn't even know that there is good answers and we have the best answers. Hmm. Um, we have the best answers deriving from God's word and we have the best answers deriving from the history of the church. And so I wanted to I wanted to help in both ways, both from the Bible um, and, you know, that's our best apologetic, we would say, and from the history of the church. Um, what what is the church taught about and from the Bible on these on these topics? And it's you know it, the, the second half of the book, especially, guess you could write you could write a whole book and books have very large books. This could this could have been a thousand page book pretty easily, um, and and so you know, but it but it's written for the average it's written for the average Christian for them to understand what the what the scripture is, and then how the Bible is under attack. So, Dave, um, I know that I gave you an outline of questions, and this happens to me every single time I get into an interview. I get a little bit off of this and uh, off of the script. So this is slightly off script, but I Go know that you'll have no problem dealing with the answer. But it seems to me that the issue of authority is something that is incredibly misunderstood by those who are in the pews and even those who are behind the pulpits. How does your book specifically deal with engaging those folks to submit to that authority? And why do you think it is that we have such a problem with understanding the authority of God's word? Yeah, well, the authority of God's word means, right, that the word of God is binding. That it mm -hmm. is authoritative because God, as I said, explained a minute ago, he has revealed himself. And so God is knowable, right? Mm -hmm. We would say. So why is the matter, the question then becomes, why is the issue so uh, prevalent? The, the issue is so prevalent, Romans 1 tells us, because 
we are the creature and we are in rebellion against God. We are sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible clearly tells us this. And so we would rather have the elevation of ourselves above God rather than God being the covenant uh, Lord and the one who paid for us in our place and for our sin. We would rather submit to ourselves than to the one who, which is ironic, right? He's the one who gives us breath. Yeah. And he knows, mm-hmm. the, he knows the length of our days. And yet we are in rebellion against him and we would choose to rebel against him. Um you know, and to act that out in ways that show our depravity yeah. and, and the illogical and the a illo- lot. We need to say the illogical nature of, of, of sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the noetic effects of sin, you know, that's already also a part of the uh, covenantal apologetic thing. So it seems like uh, you're coming from definitely uh, a, a worldview perspective. Um, there's a system of, uh, of, uh, I guess the, the, the theology, theology is a system and it all works out together. And so you would um, seemingly from what you're gathering, like, what I'm gathering from what you're saying, like you are purporting a worldview um, in this book as well, aren't you? Like, are you attacking it from like a worldview perspective or? Well, well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on how you said that because, okay. and here's why, because the, the way in which you use language really matters mm-hmm. and it needs to be said. And you just made that subjective to what I think about it. The yeah. Bible itself actually presents its own worldview and its own yes. life view. And Carl Henry actually wrote about that, um, who was the founder um, of Christianity Today, the founder mm-hmm. of Fuller Seminary. And so we we have to be really really careful. And I'm and I'm and I want to be charitable as well because we don't know each other or anything. But mm-hmm. just for the sake of those who are who are listening, when when we the way in which we frame our arguments, it really does matter. And being that I have a not only a theological background, but a philosophical background, actually, mm-hmm. it really matters how we use our language because mm-hmm. people, people, we have to be so precise today mm-hmm. in, in, our, in our language because people are using language and t- they're meaning something totally different than what we mean. And so we're, we're on the same page. I know mm-hmm. what you mean. Mm-hmm. We just have to be careful about that. And that's not a rebuke. It's just for oh, the yeah. sake us who are listening and watching this you know just so that they know that you know when we're as we're talking we're, we're being very uh careful and we're all in ministry and so we're we're james 3 one tells us that you know we're going to be held to stricter account so oh yeah yeah no 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 that's i appreciate your answer there because yeah because it does get that language we are we're on the same page there is a worldview it is by scripture and you've got to submit to that worldview um not trying to put a lens on something else and going like here's a worldview and then like because that's what critical race theory does or at least critical theory does is it goes here's my lens and this is how i got to read scripture and then this is how i go scripture is wrong because of my lens no no we go turn it the other way and we go no scripture says this you know god reveals himself this way um god's revealed man to be this way god's revealed this to be that way and then we have to go yeah we are wrong and god is right (laughs) his word is right so yes it is a worldview issue but yes it's a it's an authoritative it's not us coming up with it it is us getting it from scripture and being corrected and standing transformed but yes i appreciate that answer and the thing that you pointed out there so Dave, I love what you said there regarding the importance of language and Mm -hmm. meaning. I think that precision in language is such a key feature, and we are always striving to make sure that uh, I love, as Frame says, that language true language is saying things as they really are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that is so important because the book deals with the terminology that we love 
inerrancy. We are Chicago Statement folks, 1978 Chicago Statement folks. Uh, I have taken time to look at how many phrases from the Chicago Statement are actually just basically cut and pasted right from different people in church history, but help us out a little bit here with that terminology for inerrancy. I've, again, uh, a few years ago, Zondervan published uh, one of their counterpoint series, Four Points on Inerrancy, and I believe that Geisler was spot on in his critique of that book saying, well, really, there were only two positions on inerrancy presented in that book. So what is inerrancy and how has the church defined that word historically? Why is this important for someone to be able to understand your book and the term inerrancy? Well, you have you have people that suggest the argument is out there. It's been popularized, I think, a few years ago, maybe 2012 or 2013. There was an issue, an article in the Huffington Post, and I I write about this in chapter two, so I don't want to rehash all the argument in chapter mm-hmm. two because you know if you go back, you go back in into the to the very first you know century, uh, and and just after that, just shortly after I think the first century, you have one of the first statements on on the inerrancy or the infallibility of the Bible, and then you fast forward all the way all the way up, and so the the charge and I deal with this in the book, so I'm not gonna. I'm not going to restate every single quote because we would be here for hours. Uh, but but mm. it's it's important it's important enough to say that that we have the answers to deal with these objections with these arguments, and it's and we can say that it's a false charge. Uh, we can say that I can say that without I can say go and read the book, and I can also say you can also do a, a, a even just a, a simple Google search about how the church has responded to these arguments you're going to find all sorts of articles and whatever and the issue the matter has been uh dealt with okay Mm. but but also uh it's important to say like you mentioned the the chicago statement on you know biblical inerrancy you know i i affirm that i require we require our writers to that's one of the things we require our writers you know to to affirm um and so it's it's some people would say well that's just a post-biblical, you know, you're talking 1978 statement. And so what what is that? What's that extra biblical requirement that you're that you're requiring people to do? And so why does it matter? Well, it 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 summarizes what the church has taught mm. about the Bible for its entire history. And so so then you have to ask, does does history itself matter? Because some people want to redefine what the terms mean and what and all all these things. And I, I think that that's not it's not. I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but um, so I don't want to really get into too much of it. But other than to say, the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, they they following the Bible, they said that the authority of Scripture is inescapably imperative. This total divine inerrancy is in any way limited or disregarded or made relative to the view of, of truth contrary to the Bible's own, and such lapses bring serious loss to both the individual and the church. And so, so Second Timothy three sixteen, other passages, uh, the 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 reformers and the protestants and even evangelicals historically i know that term is you know thrown out there but even historically evangelicals have affirmed uh verbal plenary inspiration it's it's i think bevington's definition it, it, it's in there you know it's in almost every definition so to even be a uh an evangelical you would have to affirm this uh verbal verbal inspiration means that that inspiration pertains to the very words themselves and not just the meaning they they convey so 
Uh, Jesus appeals to the tense of a verb in order to settle a question in Matthew 22, uh, 22 through 33, I am the God of. So inspiration applies to specific words, even their specific forms. Plenary inspiration means that all these words are given by God, uh, not just some of them. So we can't just say that the Lord spoke only the words of scripture that pertain to doctrine, but not to those that were that record history. God spoke it all using the distinct style and personality of the human author to give us uh, the word. So Paul says uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, that that God's word is, uh, you know, it's inspired. And mm-hmm. uh, Theopanustus, you know, it's uh, God breathed. And so, yeah, short, short answer. Yeah. <laughs> and then it comes down to, you know, you're, you're getting into, you know, the You'll, you'll see these things in history and all that kind of stuff. Does history matter? And well, I mean, well, we will get to that. Um, but then it all comes down to because you see all these factions and all that kind of stuff, then you're still streaming from, you know, authority is the issue instead of going over here and then um, reducing clarity for what it is. Um, you just take them back and well, no, no, it's because you don't believe in authority. So it's like, they're wanting to go over here and get you off in a red herring about clarity and whatever, you know, yeah. no, because yeah, you're, you're, they, you're rejecting authority here. Wouldn't you say that's the problem? Yeah. Again, I think one yeah. thing, I think one thing that we are touching on earlier, and it's something that I try to hit on a lot is, is, is people, people may believe in inerrancy. Okay. But the stronger term is infallibility <laughs> that, that the, the scripture is without, you know, the possibility of error or incapable of erring, right? Um, and that actually, I think, is a buttress against uh, much of what we're seeing today. And I talk about that in chapter three, where where I get into the, to this idea of uh, Titus 1-2, that God can't lie, because mm. it's tied like promises of God, like 2 Corinthians one twenty, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And so what we have today is people give assent to this idea of inerrancy, that scripture is without error, right? But then, then they functionally undermine it um, through either how they teach or what they think or what they preach or, you know, you mentioned CRT. That's just another example, another example, intersectionality. The, the, the other larger thing is the Enneagram and yoga yeah. in the church today and, and even the new apostolic Re- reformation that is, is sweeping. So it's, it's so prevalent in, in the town where I'm at. The majority of churches, like when my wife and I moved here a year and a half ago, we could not go to any of the churches in the town, specific mm. town. Where we, have. we have to drive like, 50, well, it's only 15 minutes, so I'm not complaining. I've, I've driven 30, 45 minutes, uh, you know, an hour there and back to go to a church before when we lived in Idaho for that very reason. But at the same time, you know, it's, a, it's an issue here where we're at. Uh, where people are saying, you know, you can hear from God outside the Bible, and we would say, guess what? We already, we already basically just knocked that down a couple notches and said uh, when we when we were talking about how you know God is knowable only in His Word, from His Word, and so mm. um, you you have you have some people suggest you know the Passion translation isn't at the heart of the the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, but then mm. you have the guy, you go to their website and you look at we we see. I think one of the thing that we people don't understand about presupposed apologetics is we're not only concerned about the worldview you know we want to deal with the, the idea of their knowledge but we're not against evidence and oh, and yeah. so yeah i just wanted to i just want to say that because mm-hmm. i know there's some people that think that but the evidence is overwhelming on this once you deal with the the background and the the presupposition of of his view 
once you once you get to the evidence, the evidence is overwhelming on their website, the Passion Translations website. Um, he's so, this lead translator. He has no experience translating. He's he's um, never led a translation team. He has no no uh, no Hebrew, no Greek knowledge, nothing. Period. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he claims that he had a commission from the Lord. Those are his own words. And then you have Chuck and Bill, Chuck Pierce, Bill Johnson, John Lisa Bevere. They've all endorsed the uh, the um, the passion. And so I, I've been severely attacked for this mm. um, and mm. said, oh, well, you're you're I did a video with Doreen Virtue on this on her channel on YouTube. And uh, people have come at me and said, you know, that's to say that that's at the heart of the NAR. But you go you go ask somebody who's come out from a church. Uh, that that it was influenced by Bill Johnson and the NAR guys, and they mm. all pre- they mostly preach from the the Passion Translation. Well, I haven't and even it, actually seen them preach from the Bible. They talk about opening it and getting to the verse. So, Bill Johnson. So, just to help you out. So, I live in Springfield, yeah. Missouri. Uh, we've yeah. got a mega church here, and like I mean, it's huge. And they got they, they were huge to begin with, and then they ended up yeah. buying a bunch of other bigger buildings around the city. Um, so they've got a multi-site campus now, but they, I mean, we're talking huge. We're talking like 15 Walmart size. It seems <laughs> of, a, oh, yeah. of a building, you know, with lots of stuff, um, going on all the week. I mean, there's, there's good points and bad points. Again, I have a standard to go, well, here's what I see is good, but here's what is bad. And it's not because mm-hmm. I don't like it. Here we go. You know, but they invited Bill Johnson to come, um, to, uh, for a prayer night, uh, and so from what I, my they understanding, they also invited is, Mark yeah. Driscoll, by the way. So well, they, they're 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 standards. buddies, yeah. They're they've been buddies the whole time, and Mark Driscoll, who? Mark, Bill, Mark Driscoll, and who? Yeah, Bill, Bill Johnson. Yeah, yeah. It's, Are you it's, serious it's right now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is just all over the oh, place, wow. kind of wow. kind of thing. But yeah, so they they brought that, and so like I ended up watching the sermon, and he's like, you know, oh, open up your Bibles to this. Uh, you know, he didn't say a certain translation. I mean. I see NLT, I see a message being used yeah. <laughs> already. You know, that's the, yeah. the message being used is enough for me to go, yeah, um, because that's, yeah, that's paraphrase. And that gets to that, you know, well, this is the heart of it. This is the, you know, that's the same thing that we're talking about here, but the oh, thing gosh. is, but I'm not hitting him up on that. I mean, I'm hitting up yeah. on the fact of in that sermon, um, he, he was saying like, open up your Bibles to this and we'll get to it. And he kept on talking. And then he kind of would go, well, now we're going to go to get to the text. And then he would talk about, and he never actually read the text. He never walks through a text. And so, you know, wow. you might even use, you might say you, you support a translation, but then if you're not actually from the pulpit, in the pulpit with it open, reading, exegeting, following the arguments, following the narrative, whatever, yeah. then what are you doing? And it just becomes that easy uh, homiletic um, that we left in the Reformation. I'm I'm four hours away from from writing California. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> they they have the most of when I mentioned most of the churches in town, I'm I'm saying that most of those churches, most of the people have gone to the school of ministry and then they come up here and all around this area. And so, you know, they have they have their guys come up to Roseburg and, and Eugene and so on and so forth. It's it's a real big issue here. So I, I understand what you're saying too. Yeah. Like I often and those kind of things, but well, there's an interesting piece here because not only have we jumped into how the new apostolic reformation seems to undercut, not seems to, undercuts the authority of God's word and points things back to human autonomy and feeling. But one of the other concepts that you deal with, you give a whole chapter to theological liberalism, 
Uh, in fact, mm. you dedicate one to that. And uh, I, I want to introduce that term by noting that theological liberalism as a term can be a bit vague, uh, it can also be loaded. I mean, I've heard people accuse others of being uh, theologically liberal, and sometimes it's just used pejoratively. But uh, when I've heard that term used that way, I, I do think that there is necessity. We have a little bit of necessity for what you mean by new apostolic reformation. <laughs> We've obviously mm -hmm. kind of unpacked some of that. But you deal with theological liberalism, where I would say that these are two streams that definitely are putting human autonomy above the other. Uh, but why is it important for us to, to know not only new apostolic reformation, but also theological liberalism? And yeah. how is that important and vital to dealing with, in my mind, the authority of God's word? Yeah, that's a really, really important question. And it's an important question because it's a matter of interpretation. So how you interpret the Bible is, it's like how how you interpret the Bible reveals what you think about the Bible, mm -hmm. and and as we look out in the in the history of interpretation, we can talk about higher or historical criticism, and it becomes um, pretty obvious when it the consequences of it and what it reveals about how people do with the Bible. Um, it, this is a this is a way of uh, trying to understand the historical background of each book of the Bible, which isn't mm -hmm. that in of itself, but but when you when you look at how it, it is often applied, it it ends up denying biblical miracles and pretty much viewing the New Testament writers as frauds and on and on. And then you look at the Princeton guys, you know, Charles Hodge, Francis Turretin, Archibald Alexander, B.B. Warfield, who, by the way, if you guys have never read his book on the inspiration of the Bible, I just want to say you go read that first. It's 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 a hundred times better than anything you'll ever read in. Oh yeah, we <laughs> so book, I, you know that's that that is uh, if you are uh, if if you've read Van Til, you have to read Kuiper, you have to read BB Warfield, you have to get yeah. on all those uh, Princeton, um, yeah. you know, just what but, what made that. So yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful. But, way. And they're going to do a lot better than modern. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Issue. And then and then you know we we idea history teaches us so much. And and we don't need to be anti-history. We need, we can be actually for history. We're mm -hmm. we're told commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. That's the that's the great commandment. Mm -hmm. And so so understanding where arguments come from. It, I mean, you could we could spend probably two three hours talking about just this. But one other thing is the the rationalism that came from the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. um, it followed in the wake of the Reformation. The, these mm -hmm. men were able to think, you know, for themselves. The science became dominant. The authority of of Scripture and the Church was was challenged, and so rationalists relied on their own wisdom and their own reasoning as authoritative. And so then the issue becomes: mm -hmm. this is what liberal Protestant theologians did. They they had a theology from below, uh, where their feelings and their you mm -hmm. know stuff like that and said so the scripture was the virtues of theology from above was 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 their standard you know so they had their feelings yeah. in scripture at the same level instead of you know the scripture as the ultimate standard interpreting you know their feelings like we would look at psalm 42 through 43 as as brothers and we would say hey this is telling me that to hope in god in the midst of my discouragement and my depression and that and this is the point that david is trying to make and mm -hmm. in that to hope in God in, in both mm -hmm. Psalm 42 and 48. But but this is where theologicalism takes us. It it ends up historically focusing on what I think in the self rather than you know where what God has said and what God declares to me. And then so interpreting scripture helps us interpret our feelings, our experiences, mm -hmm. not our feelings interpreting scripture. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so and then that, that gets into the whole, whole issue of standards. And because if we're saying theological liberalism, what does that imply? That means there's a left, right. And then, then there's a right. And so how do you judge between um, a liberal and a, going a left direction versus a conservative maybe position? So if we're going to adopt secular uh, terms to go like, well, here you got your theological mm. conservatives here, you got your theological liberals. Like how do we uh, make that determination for the epithets <laughs> anyway, right. without it just being a fallacious um, deal? Because yeah, that, that does come like people immediately be like, well, I don't, you don't agree with me liberal you know and then it just becomes mm -hmm. a big uh shooting match but see this is why we have to have the presupposition of biblical authority this is why we have to have all those points of what we say the bible is or else we can't determine anything and then the term conservative and liberal has absolutely no meaning and so that's why we're here <laughs> to to talk about yeah. it. if we don't have a standard then all these epithets again yeah. mean mean nothing and all we're doing is just shooting match and then uh if we're the church and God said, and Jesus prayed that we are all one, right? Just like him and the father are one. And if we love each other, that's how they know um, we are his and that he loves us. Um, what's the world seeing? So, yeah. So if we can't, uh, you know, without that biblical authority, the way that uh, really the Bible defines itself and what we are uh, projecting here, like our, our, basically we're all in agreement here on that. Um, if we don't have that, we can't even make sense of the terms that we're using, the language that we're using. And we've said that it's important. Um, so, you know, other than that, um, you know, what I said, as far as the, um, the intellectual, uh, framework to even say that, um, why, why to you, what, there, there are some other things, you know, why is the authority of God's word, the key issue in dealing with theological liberals? And you can talk about cults, um, modern moral, uh, sexual, uh, gender ethics and all that kind of stuff. So really we're talking about like, uh, the issue and that Paul talks about, we destroy arguments and anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Like, um, why is this uh, so important other than the fact of just like term usages that I suggested? Yeah. Well, I think, I think argument wise, the reason we deal with arguments is because people hold to them. And Jesus talks about in Luke six forty five, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the mouth, the, the heart is a seed of knowledge in the Bible and, and the Greek and the Greco Roman, uh, you know, Western world, we view knowledge as the, the, from the head and the Bible views it the opposite way from the heart is the seed mm -hmm. of knowledge, the Hebrew word cardia. So the central issue is then what is the key, what is the authority for our heart and then for our mind? How can we know, you know, what is truth? And the, the only the only authority, and this is what scripture and the church has taught, is the Bible. The Bible is authoritative. It's for every phase and stage of our lives or for faith, our faith and practice. And so uh, if there's an issue in, in my house with my foundation, like we looked at some houses when we moved here to Southern Oregon, uh, there was one house that had seventy thousand dollars in damage in in uh, in the foundation. So we we didn't buy that house because if you have a crack or a major issue with the foundation, you're gonna have problems with the house. You know, like major problems. And this is what theological liberalism does. It has major causes, major major cracks, and major issues. And and the thing is, is we have to understand. Even almost a hundred years ago, J. Gresham Machen uh, responded. He wrote that classic book, Christianity and Liberalism. Um, and he stated about theological liberalism in his book, it's totally different from Christianity for the foundation is different. Christianity is founded upon the Bible. It bases upon the Bible, both its thinking and life. Uh, liberalism, on the other hand, is founded on the shifting emotions of sinful 
man. So what he's saying is, is what we talked about earlier about the theology from below. It's grounding itself in a theology from below theological liberalism versus as we would uh, as Protestants who believe in sola scriptura, we ground ourselves in a theology from above. And he's pointing this out over a hundred years ago, mm -hmm. almost a hundred years ago. And how much more infinitely uh, greater do we have issues today with and and by the way we also i was going to say this earlier when the uh, previous answer but theological liberalism is alive and well today it's mm -hmm. alive and well in and i'm going to use air quotes if you can't see this <laughs> air quotes for progressive christianity mm. it is progressive christianity is another religion entirely that's what that's that's the power and the force of what Jay Gresham Machen was saying over a yeah. hundred years ago, and it's repackaged, you know, through the emerging church. Mm. Uh, we see it, we see it today, uh, over and over and over again, you know, in the in the deconstruction movement and so on and so forth. So, so the other little thing that I think is really important here, I'm going to give you just a little bit of self-disclosing things and actually even say a, a bit ashamedly on some of this. So my, I, I just uh, transitioned just a little less than a year ago to a new church. I was pastoring real close to Adam in Springfield, Missouri. I was in Buffalo, Missouri. They're about 30 minutes away from one another. That's how our podcast began from the very beginning was we were meeting in Springfield each week. And when we got to our church, there was no youth group. There was, uh, you know, you're coming into a new leadership structure. You don't know where everyone is completely. You know, there's a great statement of faith on the church website. And what I've found is uh, very much uh, in my church, there is a commitment to that. But we started a youth group and there were some folks who had kind of had some things going uh, along. And I know some people aren't fans of having youth groups. Uh, they actually just meet actually more as a small group together under the leadership of a few different mature believers. And we began to look for a camp to send our church to. We're a non-denominational church, right? Or I should say, really, honestly, it's more interdenominational. And we had a few different people suggest, hey, you really need to go to Youth Front's church. So I got online and I looked at the statement of faith from this church, I or from this camp, and, you know, everything looked really good. And we sent our youth down there with some of our leaders. And let me just tell you, it was Woke City, USA, all kinds of theological liberalism, very wishy-washy, generic. And my wife would continually go back to like, and she would just point the, the youth in our church back to when they would hear these stupid things. She'd say, it doesn't matter what they think or what they feel. It is, what does God's word say clearly on this? The authority of God's word as the standard just kills again and again these these concepts uh over and over and to me that's where the the key issue is there is no foundation for the theological liberal and holding fast to the authority of scripture just demonstrates that as a key piece sorry i went a little long there mm -hmm. no i i think moral relativism is a real issue in our day it is the, one of the key issues of our day especially out in our culture and you and you see it it shows up right so we would say if, if whoever is authoritative that that really is the 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 thing that we're serving this becomes then you could frame this in a biblical way you know through idolatry is is what what we try to use jesus language is an idol is what we treasure and value and find our worth in the most mm -hmm. and so that 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 is a matter of our worship 
and you know what's what are we really treasuring above everything what are we what are we what are we holding fast to and this is where this is where you know when we talk about gender and sexuality abortion social issues so on and so forth this is where that idea of functional inerrancy shows up because you, mm. you have people with that say well i believe the bible okay okay that's that's great okay and then i'm like well where's the practice yeah you know you know you you had gallup gallup just came out with a poll and and the the fairy tale and myth option was alive and well in that poll i think yeah. it was uh i can't remember the exact percentage but it was, i think it was 49 percent you mm. know off the top of my head or something like that yeah you know, it was a real thing and you just have to ask yourself you got you got all the things that we've talked about you got the enneagram you got the yoga you got critical race theory you got intersectionality you got the new apostolic reformation um, you got these things that are coming and real issues in our day, and you have to wonder. Okay, so you might we'll give you we'll be we'll be as charitable as possible. We'll say that you believe that that in the scripture for your for our faith, but then, okay, what about the practice? Because the mm -hmm. Bible, Philippians four nine, after Paul gives all that instruction, right about being anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and all that, you know, don't be anxious and contentment or whatever. In Philippians four nine, he says put to practice these things he, he flips it and he mm -hmm. says hey now now okay uh put it put it into practice uh james 122 uh you know we're, we're not supposed to be hearers only but doers of the word uh, so the god really uh we're supposed to ephesians 4 1 uh we're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received so mm -hmm. obedience really matters uh yes. you know apply, taking the word that we believe and so it's, it's not even just that you know, we we may or may not believe the Bible. Okay, we'll, we'll be as charitable as possible there. We'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt. But then, then when it comes to the matter of practice, we have to ask, okay, so where's the practice? And yeah. then we can say, then we can say, then we can say, well, if there's no practice, then is there really faith in the Bible? Is there really a belief in the Bible, or is it just that you may maybe think that 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 it is a book, but you don't really believe it? And this really reveals then at a foundational level, which we don't even. We don't, brothers. We don't even talk about. And my wife, this drives my drives my wife nuts a little bit because I'm always like, "What's the foundational matter?" And I'm like, "We don't talk about the foundation matter." So if you really want to get yeah. me fired up, like right now, I am. Um, <laughs> you know, it drives me it drives me batty because we don't talk about the foundational matters. We want to talk about all the periphery issues, all the all the issues surrounding it, whatever the problem is. But we, if we're not going to get to the po the root of the poison. You know, when you take your kid and they, they, you know, if they got poisoned, you take them to the ER because you 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 love them, you care about them, you want you want them to not have poison, right? Mm -hmm. You want the, the doctor to deal with the poison. We're not dealing with the poison in the church, and the poison yeah. is because the foundation of the house is cracked and it's mm -hmm. leaking and it's mm -hmm. it's it's trash yeah and that's and that's really i mean uh you get into just the uh biblical counseling movement and stuff i recently read a really great book and that i kind of a uh, um calling you know shooting a vantillion arrow at the heart 
um, because it's the same kind of deal. The, the, the Bible is the authoritative sufficient way that we take care of one another mm-hmm. in the church and that the church um, in itself loaded with the word of God, um, with the way that God has put the church together, um, with the offices that it has, with the, with, with the people that it has, we take care of one another. We don't need to go out. Uh, but because of that, foundation is not there that's why we have um secular sociologists and psychologists and all that kind of stuff changing yeah. behavior so they deal with the symptoms uh, but they they will never get to the root um so then we're sending out people to the experts in this field and then they come back with well i didn't need god to do that i didn't need god to change me here i didn't need i just needed to change my behavior i needed to take this pill i needed to um, go hang out with my wife five minutes more a day whatever you know and that just totally changed my life and then we just given them the uh well you you didn't need god to do that you just needed yourself and there you go is the crack um and you don't have a foundation and it's there's not a crack in the foundation there is no foundation so this is the quicksand quotient you've stood on nothing and you're going to end up falling straight down and getting drowned in sand so go for it dave yeah no go ahead you first well it just makes me think about a gary demar quote that i just read in a book here not too long ago where he says the bible is a loaded 45 the power to destroy all speculations raised up against the knowledge of god is inherent in God's word, a cogently presented, comprehensive, and consistent worldview can stand up to any hostile belief system. I just uh, love his little, uh, uh, the way that he puts that uh, very, very good. and just makes me think, I literally went, I was like, man, I got to remember that quotation. I had to look it back up real quick. Um, of course, it's it's from Gary DeMar's book, The War of Worldviews, which is a book I read a earlier this summer but just making me think about that so Mm -hmm. (laughs) no that's that's good and then and then to go back to the to the to the cults thing i mean you so when you you know when you you know and and the church church is built on the word of god you know know, the pillar and buttress of the truth the word of god so we we don't i don't want to be you know i said you know the foundation is trash but the fact the real foundation for the church church is built on the authority of god's word and so, you know, the pillar and buttress of the truth, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, uh, is it four off the top of my head? I can't remember. Anyways, sometimes I I, I surprise myself. I'm like, actually, I know where that is. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, but uh, but but you know, over and against that that idea of authority, you know, you you asked about you know the cults and engaging and those kind of things. You know, you you have the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. Uh, they they come and they you know retranslate the Bible, even though Revelation twenty two strictly forbids that. Uh, adding adding words to the Bible, and then you have you know the the other you know the doctrine with the Mormons, the doctrine of covenants, and you know the the Jehovah's Witnesses retranslating the 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 Bible to to mean something else, like in John one uh, over and against the deity of Christ, and you know you you have the Passion doing the the same thing like. Uh, so that they can have women pastors and their, you know, their mm-hmm. translation, and um, you know, it, 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 that's why that's why I like to say what you do with the Bible, it'll reveal what you, you know, you believe about God. You know, there's no mm-hmm. other way to know about but God, and so what you do with the Bible says everything about what you believe about God. And I think we would all kind of agree with that because of that of that, of that foundation. If we're going to go with it, analogy, if you will that that if the foundation isn't built on the 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 true authority of God's word the pillar and buttress of the truth then you're going to seek after something else as your authority 
Well, and here's what we're seeing, at least in my mind. Now, I don't know if you're a member of uh, the Evangelical Theological Society, ETS, and I'm not trying to just throw that whole society underneath the bus, but there are big players in that group. Uh, we just, within the last year, heard from William Lane Craig yeah. basically saying uh, he cannot at all hold a historical atom because the science doesn't match it. There is that undercutting of the inerrancy and the authority of God's word. And you spend an entire chapter kind of dealing with this. And I thought those arguments were exceptionally helpful, the way that you kind of laid them out. What is the problem then with people like, I mean, big players, people who, again, if people are going to name um, apologists in the church, William Lane Craig's name is going to come up like right away, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the Hit our hands. Yeah, exactly. And so these individuals are saying, no, 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 there is no historical atom. What, what, what do we do with that? And how do we engage that now? Well, the first thing is we talked about earlier, we have to deal with arguments mm -hmm. at, of, with what they said, because, you know, as I said earlier, out of the abundance, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we can, if they're going to make a biblical argument, which I don't, it's not a biblical argument. So don't hear me say that. It's not. Yeah. Okay, but we're we got to deal with the substance of people's arguments as they engage the Bible. Yeah. And so as we as we do that, what we're doing is we're actually doing we're we're doing what Ephesians four fifteen commands to speak the truth in love and saying actually that's not what that text means and the text has a meaning and and behind that that meaning it means something because God Himself revealed Himself in a specific way and God has a meaning. And and mm. and by the way, we we I don't think that we talk about it that enough that a text has a meaning and and that behind that meaning God had an intended meaning. You know, we would call yes. that author. We would call that authorial intent. Mm. Um, and and so how you deal and how you interpret the text, it does reveal what you think about God. And in this case, it says a lot because if you get the first uh th you know three chapters of Genesis wrong. Yeah, good luck getting the rest of the Bible right. Man. You know, yeah. It, you know, and 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 we I mentioned earlier this myth fairy tale option as, as, from Gallup is so prevalent today. Um, you know, you you have because you have people that like. Are we? Do you guys name names on this podcast? Yes. Oh, yes. you can go okay, go no to problem. town. Go, go to town. Okay. <laughs> you know, you got you got guys like Peter Enns, for example. And you, you know you got theistic evolution. the The whole idea that uh, you know we the the whole Bible is, is the first three chapters are just a myth and a fairy tale. Theistic evolution, and they generally say idea, they're poetry, right? Or poetry, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Thank you, thank yeah. you for adding that. But 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 what does that do? We have to ask to the rest of the Bible. Um, that's where we get to the crack. And what it does is you 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 deal you have to take out Romans five twelve through twenty one. Mm -hmm. You got to take out you you ultimately have to take out all the gospels really because where do the gospels start? They start with the genealogy that mentions Adam. You got to remove any if you have to remove any any mention of Adam in the Bible, then you might as well just go ahead and take that Old Testament and rip that whole whole all thirty nine books in the Old Testament out. And but then and what? then if you 
And then if you rip out the 39 books in the new, in the Old Testament, then you might as well just go and just rip the the, the rest of the New Testament out. Yeah. It's yeah, Matthew, and, Hebrews are explicitly Old Testament and then you've got uh quotations from the Old Testament everywhere else, but yeah, you'd have to get rid of everything. That's what they that's, do. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what they do. That's oh yeah, cuz you got the new perspective on Paul and all that kind of stuff to maybe salvage a little bit of that for their purposes, but yeah, it, it becomes just a just a I'm trying to think of the uh, the word Vantil. It's like God. Which by the way, yeah, which by <laughs> yeah. the way, by the way, if you start taking out texts and and saying yeah. from the Bible, you're actually engaging in the ancient heresy of Martianism. Oh yes, and that is live and well, and I have experienced that as the barber, and I I know I shared on Facebook uh, like on my timeline, the like, spirit of Marcion is alive and well, and you know I got a guy that loves logical positivism, pos- positivism. I mean, I can't even say words right positivism. now. Positivism, positivism. Thank you. Um, you know, he was uh, he was into that, and then he uh, rejected the God of the Old Testament, and he loved the Jesus of the God of the New Testament. I'm sitting here going like, wow, that's nothing new, dude. That predates and the Enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> it was like you don't even know what you're saying, but I had a good I mentioned that in the book. Him, yeah. I mentioned that oh, that's in great. chapter awesome. chapter yeah. I think it's seven. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. But yeah, so yeah, so you, you get all that and yeah, so it, I appreciate you uh, taking your time on that. And like, you know, just for full disclosure to you is listening, you know, I can't wait to read the book. I haven't been able to get a hold of the book. That's why you see Dave kind of attacking those uh, book things. Um, but the thing is we have dealt with inerrancy. I've dealt with inerrancy and, and had that conversation. So that's why I can still be a part of the conversation, but I appreciate uh, you writing the book and I can't, re- I can't wait. Um, especially if that's in there, that's going to yeah, be yeah. fun. So, and, and yeah. by the way, on page, just to quote the book on page one Oh three, I say this by understanding what critics of Genesis one through three say and what Genesis one through three actually says, we come away with a we can come away with a right understanding of the biblical text and the storyline of scripture. So Adam, as I call it, is a determinative factor in the Bible. You know, you, yeah. you can't. That's what I'm saying. You can't read Genesis one through three and not come away with some sort of understanding that Adam is a real person, real history, and then and then. It, it, Paul makes it, you know, very clear that this whole story—it—it's it, so important that the understanding it affects our understanding of gender and the church mm. and church leadership, and then sin and salvation, um, marriage, relationships, on and on. So, so if you deny those things, like I mean, I, I was sort of, you know, using an extreme example, you know, ripping out the Bible, but, but that's where, that's where that leads to. If you deny Adam, you know, then, and you deny those topics, you're taking out significant chunks of, of the Bible itself. But, but you're also, you're also denying then the, the, we need to say in a, in a culture that, that we're living in right now is the worship of scientism, not science. Mm-hmm. How can mm-hmm. you have, how can you have an, a Christian understanding of science then which which is grounded in Genesis one through two that tells us how God created the world. How can you how can you even have the scientific method if you're going to attack the very idea of what knowledge is? And you know that's what that's what the, that's the absurd. We have to be able to point out the illogical nature of arguments and do so with the truth of God's word. When people are going to say, "Hey, this is what this text means," we can actually go back then and say, "Actually, that's not what that means." And and this is your argument, and this is why it doesn't cohere with the Bible, which is in large measure what I do in chapter nine, um, and, and, which is why Doctor Frame, you know, recommended the recommended the book. He he, can I read that? Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Okay, just a second. I, when I saw that Doctor Frame and Joel Beakey were recommended, I was like, man, that's awesome. I mean, not that. Uh, 
obviously when I'd seen that you had got it published through G3, I was like, oh man, I knew from looking at your magazine, Theology Life magazine, that's published once a month, right? Uh, Once every three months. Once every three mm. months. Uh, uh, just from that, and of course, my introduction to David was through our good friend, Jacob Tanner. So and I'll have to find out sometime how you connected with him. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was one of my students at one point, so uh, I feel very privileged to say that. <laughs> he he is so smart. Oh and man, like Jacob, don't let that go to your head, brother. But you are <laughs> smart. Brother. Okay. So, and I wrote the foreword to his Union with Christ book, and it is. Ah. You guys will have to have it on. It is. Really oh, cool. we do need to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so here's what John Frame says. My friend Dave Jenkins, let's stop there. First of all, if you told my high school self that John Frame would say my friend, um, and you're listening to this, John Frame, my brother, my, uh, my, my head explodes. Right there. <laughs> you know, my high school self would be like, just, just, go, just go away and go hide, you know, because uh, I was reading John Frame in high school. But anyways, my friend Dave Jenkins, he says, has written a solid book on biblical authority. He presents the doctrine of scripture as scripture itself teaches it, and he answers many of the arguments on the other side. And then he addressed some of the areas of biblical teaching most debated today in the area of sexual ethics. He presents a good case from scripture against homosexuality in favor of biblical marriage i think he has done a fine job and i hope he will uh, he will gain many many readers so that's uh that's really mm. humbling mm. Uh, you know uh again i'll just say i'm a very ordinary guy just trying to be faithful and so uh for those of you listening uh i told one guy he was he he said oh you're a big deal i was like did you don't know me so it's just not it's not true you don't I mean, know I'm, me yeah <laughs> you don't know me <laughs> well, yeah if you knew if you knew uh, if you had biblical anthropology based on the authority of scripture yeah you're just like wow we are we can't ever claim anything for ourselves but it's a wonderful thing and you know that'd be i understand from like if john frame ever got a hold of something that i wrote and said something nice about it, it'd be like cool that's awesome so but it's awesome and i think we can celebrate that with you that that's awesome that um you know just the the community that we have um of past saints that have written books that we get to read and then the the saints that we have uh right now that are still with us that you know whenever they do pass on it's gonna it's just really gonna stink you know i'm sure you know if i knew who greg bonson was back at that point in time in the 90s and he died if i was into this stuff i'd be like dang you know but it's a it's a really special honor and we can give honor to people um that god gives gifts to and they are faithful in their work so right. you are special and uh you do have a work that you are doing you know so you know don't you don't have to be self-deprecating you know and 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 that and that humility but you can actually go this is what God has given me to do. He's given me gifts. And, uh, you know, I'm, I gotta be faithful with those. And then the other people see like John frame, you've been faithful and, mm -hmm. you know, take that as a compliment and just go, yes. Um, that's awesome that somebody else has seen cause I'm working for the Lord and God has used say John frame as a means to go, you know, thank you for your faithfulness. So there you mm -hmm. go. Until we get to the, the very end and Christ <laughs> says, well done, good. Like he's actually still going to say, well done, my good. He's going to say something good about us. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's okay. Yeah, so we thank you for your your work in that um i don't know if dave has anything but there's just a couple little ending things that i wanted to just I ask i want to ask you to just give it a little plug for your magazine mm -hmm. i gave you a little bit of peace tell us a little bit about theology life max theology for life magazine uh some of the contributors some of the things that are excited about that and tell us about your podcast that you do oh yeah yeah uh could be in grace i started uh i was started writing reviews in 2019 and I've done over 350 of those. And then I started Equipping in Grace 
uh, with a friend. And then he's like, well, you know, because of, you know, the kindness of God on, and uh, those kind of things, he's like, you could interview anybody. And so, you know, the Lord has been extremely kind. I've been able to interview John Frame five times. I think it is five or six times. And then Joel Beakey about the same and uh, Michael Horton once and some other guys as well. And uh, the Lord just has uh, been very kind in that. And then in 2014, my wife and I were sitting on our couch, <laughs> interesting enough. And I just said, you know what? How do you feel about starting a magazine? And she's like, well, what is it going to be about? And I said, well, it's going to be for the layperson. And they're like, she's like, okay, let's do it. And we had no idea. I mean, starting a magazine, whether that's online or in print, is a big deal. And uh, the the Lord has very been very gracious as well. As same with the podcast, and uh, grown that uh, tremendously. And so we've been. I think Doctor Frame. I've interviewed Doctor Frame for that. He, I think, wrote an article, and some others as well have written articles that you know have been uh, very kind. And so uh, very thankful that the Lord has continued to use that. And uh, we've hit. Over the years, we've hit lots of different topics uh, from uh, all sorts of perspective, gender, sexuality. You know, we just did an issue on ethics, which is kind of like a primer on the topic, uh, mm -hmm. hitting CRT and intersectionality and um, other things. And we have some issues coming up uh, next year on false teaching and uh, some other topics as well. And so... Uh, the Lord just keeps uh, keeps us busy, and we are just trying to be, as I mentioned, faithful and humble and focused, and uh, give Him all the glory. So, Adam, oh, that's wonderful. And I just kind of want to end the episode just with a couple of questions I saw from another, um, I think, a podcast that you've done anyway. And there's just a couple of points on that, just to end because um, these are divisive. Um, these are major contentions, um, things get hot and, uh, we need to still be in that If we have biblical authority, um, we have to be right with our, the way that we treat others, um, who differ from us. And so there is a line to draw that is biblical. Um, but then there is a little bit of, there's some room for some things here. And so I just wanted to, at the very end here, um, apply the grace if there is any and all that kind of stuff. And just hit a couple of points from, it says in one of your episodes that you, two points I want to hit is uh, inerrancy is not a test for orthodoxy or is, is a test for orthodoxy, but not salvation. Um, and mm -hmm. then inerrancy, the Christian and grace. So mm -hmm. just a quick kind of like on those two little things, like what would you say about, you know, yes, it is a test on orthodoxy, but not salvation. Um, right. And so like, well, how does this grace um, get applied from like Christian to Christian? If you're going to still call them brother, how does this grace get applied? And, and how do we live in light as we continue the discussion to hopefully bring them to the uh, biblical authority and principle and practice. I'm going to take a biblical counseling approach to this. <laughs> yes. say, we have to, we have to ask questions and, and presuppositions. Mm -hmm. we have to ask questions. What do you mean by this term? Mm -hmm. And we have to, we have to be afraid to not have the, not, not deal with what uh, we have to, excuse me. We have to deal then with what the person says. Mm -hmm. Um, and not and not take a have we have an answer for for the reason for the hope that we have as we've talked about mm -hmm. um and we have to but we have to be willing to hear people out and that is something um you know at the head of all these virtue lists of the new testament galatians 5 22 to 23 uh you know you have the end of you know faith hope and love first corinthians 13 and 15 and all those things all these passages 
you, you know, it's the most loving thing in the world to sit there and to listen. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's the most unloving thing to sit there and presuppose that you already know what the person is going to say before they say it. And you know, that then 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 I think so. So when we come to those types of um, so those types of questions, those kinds of issues, we really need to we need to throw out the 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 playbook, and we need to instead adopt a position of a servant. And then start asking what What do you mean when you when you deny inerrancy, or 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 ask the question, do you understand the way in which you might be denying inerrancy, um, and and the many ways? And then ask what well, what is biblical authority? What does that What does that mean? Um, and and do you see do you see the way in which um, the way in which you might be deviating from this? And these are these are the kind of conversations that I think you need to have over. In person, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dodging the the answer because I do believe, I do believe in inerrancy, and I and I think that it's important that we do have a good understanding of inerrancy because it's going to buttress, um, as I argue in the book, you know, our understanding of the Bible and and all these things. But we have to be very. Jesus was full of grace and truth, you know, John mm. one, and 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 there's there's a reason. That I think in the reform world, where and, and outs in the evangelical world, that where we're known for being speaking the truth, but we have to ask the question then, even ourselves, and take a good hard look. How are we doing at, at, at the love aspect? Because um, as I mentioned, you know, and I'm not the only one who's who said that, you know. But we but we can be so we can be even we can be biblically rooted. We can even be confessionally aligned. But then, if if sound doctrine comes from the Word of God, and it is to affect our, our our lives and our practice and to shape us, right? Then how are we doing it that, you know, and, and we have to ask that because of the time in which we're time in which we're living, um, we face all of these attacks and it can be really discouraging. But we have to deal again as with actual arguments. And I can be honest, like the first one of the first drafts of this book, especially chapter five on theological theologicalism, I absolutely I, I went off. You know, D.A. Carson uh, around this time I was writing this this first draft of this book. Sarah Palin was on the scene and I just absolutely torched the 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 left um, because, you know, of how they were treating Sarah Palin and the inconsistency of it. And but it but it but it was true what I was saying in that first draft. It's not in this draft, by the way. That's not in there at all. But uh, in another draft of the book, it was truthful what I was saying, but it lacked grace. Hmm. And just to illustrate what I'm saying, I have been guilty, as I'm sure everybody has, of being saying true things but lacking grace. And the Bible is concerned with both. It's, it's concerned that we speak the truth and speak it in love. And yeah. that's why when you look at you look at Second Timothy two twenty four through twenty five and and other texts about how to give an answer. You know, First Peter three fifteen. Uh, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have, right? But then, mm -hmm. what does he say? Do it with gentleness, gentleness and respect. respect. And mm -hmm. we need to ask the question: Is gentleness one of the fruits of the spirit? Yeah, yeah. And then you look at those lists, and if you look at the list of power to speak, the fruits of the spirit are are mentioned quite a lot. And what is the spirit aiming to do? These are things that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. So then it becomes a matter of our character and informing our witness and we don't talk about that's another thing the point i'm making is that our our character should feel our witness and that's that's really what you know peter is getting at in first peter three fifteen.
you know, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that we have and to do so with gentleness and respect. And this even goes back to first uh, Peter one, 13 through 15 about, you know, the holiness of God in all of life, which actually frames the whole discussion in first Peter three fifteen. Mm, yeah. You know, you can go on and on with that. And so apologetics is really, you know, it's, it's not just concerned with giving an answer. It's, it's concerned with her whole life. And so we're supposed to have a biblical worldview. And as mm. Carl F.H. Henry said, and, yeah, the, the tw late 20th century, early 21st century, we're supposed to have a Christian worldview grounded in the Bible and then a way to, from the Bible, to see life, a biblical life view. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you for your work on this book. And I'm glad that uh, Dave got uh, connected with you. Um, I'm sure it sounds like you're going to be writing stuff uh, in the future. And uh, you always have a, an extended a, a invitation here to come on the podcast. So let us know yes. with anything new that you want to come on and you, uh, you find value in the Tag Your podcast. Let's get a hold of us. We can definitely uh, talk to you about your uh, next adventure um, and, and whatever you're doing. We would uh, gladly support you. I appreciate uh, um, just the, the nature of uh, the talk and the nature of um, just the way that you, that you hold to scripture authority and then, and, and you're calling people to that. And so again, that's such a uh, important foundational topic that uh, if we give up, um, then we've got nothing. So, <laughs> and I understand that mm. the other side says, no, you don't, but yeah, yeah, you do. And, and so, but yeah, so I don't know if Dave has any closing remarks or anything no, just, on that, but Dave, I, I could talk to you for a long, long time and just enjoy every minute of it. Uh, you are an engaging speaker and an incredible communicator and God has given you a great mind and a heart for others. And I'm grateful that you are using those gifts and stewarding them for the service of the kingdom. And that's always what I want to celebrate. Um, I get to talk to really awesome people that God has used in powerful ways. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, beyond grateful, but not near as grateful as I should be. So thank you, Dave, so much. And thanks for the opportunities you've given me. Praise right. the Lord, brother. Yeah. Well, with that said, this has been the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I am David Van Weber. And I'm Dave Jenkins. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. <laughs>